Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Hey, how are you today? You good? Good, good, good. Great to see everyone. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Happy to have uh, this opportunity to be together and worship the Lord. And uh, glad that you are all here. Is everybody feeling good? Feeling good? All right. Good, good, good. Well, we're going to do something special at the end of service again. We shifted our schedule up just a little bit these last couple weeks. The series that we're in is called Kingmaker. We're talking about how the Lord has created each and every one of us. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people that are called to be both king and priest. We have an anointing from God. He always anoints his kings. And we have an anointing from God that specifically empowers us to perform at a higher level in our practical life, in our spiritual life, in our relationship life, in our family life. We need the anointing of God. Remember, that word anoint means to be smeared with oil. It's symbolic of the presence of God being smeared upon your life. Uh, the disciples, it says that when, they, when people around them would recognize them, they would say that they could tell that they had been with Jesus. We had our very first Wednesday night uh, worship service this last Wednesday. It was a great service. Had a great group of people come out. We're starting off doing first Wednesdays is what we're calling it. And uh, we had an amazing time. Just it's extra worship and a great word and all of that just on the first Wednesday of the month. We'll start that and see how that goes. Uh, But make sure you keep that on the calendar and plan to be with us. But I mentioned on Wednesday night how that when, when you're with Jesus, it shows. My wife can always tell when I've been with Jesus. And my wife can tell when I haven't. Right? Because when you're with Jesus, when you're spending time in the presence of God, it shows. God's presence makes an impact on your life. And in his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. So if you're lacking joy, what you need is presence. If you're lacking joy, you need God's presence. Well, the beautiful thing is he inhabits the praises of his people. God's presence lives inside of praise. So if you need more of God's presence, what you really need is more of God's praise. See, David is the centerpiece of our story as we walk out this journey, and David was a worshiper. He was known as a worshiper. He wrote the book of Psalms, the songs of worship. If you read, in fact, I would encourage you to read the book of Psalms. Reading the book of Psalms is how I learned how to pray. I began to pray the Psalms and I would put myself in the Psalm. I would put myself in the story and I would pray the Psalms over my own life. And it was one of the ways that God taught me how to pray and how to enter into a relationship, a conversational relationship with him. When you read the book of Psalms, you see all of David's highs and you see all of David's lows. He was a regular dude. He had good days. He had bad days, he had enemies, he had friends. He also had some frenemies. You ever had a frenemy? Someone that you think's your friend, but not really? He had people in his life that he thought were close to him, he thought he could trust, but one thing that David had, the scriptures declares, he had a heart after God's own heart. He had a heart that pursued God, and he was constantly creating atmospheres of praise. And so he was constantly being in the presence of God, and the presence of God was upon his life. Now, in the last week's story, we talked about how the 
prophet Samuel came and he anointed David. He poured oil upon David's head. When the king or when the prophet would anoint, the, the, the oil would literally be poured out of a horn, like a, like a ram's horn or a sheep's horn, and it would completely cover your garments. It'd run down your face, your beard. It was, you were smeared in his presence. And the oil that they used had a very powerful and pungent smell, an incredible smell. It was made of essential oils, and it had a specific recipe that could only be made in Jerusalem, and it could only be used for worship. So when something was anointed or someone was anointed, they were set apart for a specific purpose for God. Did you know that you have been set apart for a specific purpose for God? The Bible says that you have an anointing. You have been given an anointing by the Holy Spirit. God's presence is upon you. If you have asked for the Spirit of God, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've asked for the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life and live inside of you, you have an anointing, and that anointing will teach you and lead you and guide you. You have the opportunity to have communion with God. Communion is much more than a little bit of juice and a little bit of a flake or a wafer or a cracker. It's way bigger than that. Communion means common union. You have something in common that unifies you together. See, the reality is we're in this room and we have people of all different backgrounds. We have people of all different nationalities, people of different upbringings, people of different political standings, people of different opinions upon lots of different things, but we have one thing that unifies us and it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. I'm sick and tired of the church being divided about ridiculous things that don't stink and matter. Well, are you? It's none of your business. It's none of your stinking business. The Bible says do the best that you can to live together peaceably, quietly. I have a saying in my own life. I'm not saying this to you. I say this to me. Shut up and pray. <laughs> Shut up and pray. There are so many times where we didn't, nah, 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 we're just this. And, and, and it's, we're, we're creating cycles of communication that aren't necessarily pure or holy or good. Did you know that the scripture that says bad company corrupts good morals? The actual translation is evil communication corrupts good morals. Your behavior is impacted by the communications that you receive and you give in your life. It's important that we understand that we are called for more. We're called to be bigger. We have an anointing, a distinction. The presence of God is on our life and we shouldn't sound like the rest of the world. Our conversation shouldn't be filled with the exact same thing. It doesn't mean you can't talk about what's going on in the world and all that type of stuff and have different views and things of that nature, but your views better be filled with the word of God. Because if your views are just filled with what's on the news, you're no different than an atheist. The word of God is what needs to fill your view. God is in control. He's in control. This is all going according to his plan. It doesn't make sense to us. How many times in life do we find ourselves in the middle of something that makes no sense? But God is in control. He's always in control. Along this topic of anointing, there was a, Time, multiple times in my life that I was praying and asking God for more anointing, more of your presence. 
cover me with more of your prayer. I want more of you, God. I think that's a wonderful prayer. But in this specific time, I want to read to you from my journal what the Lord said to me. He said, why would I give you more if you're not gonna use it? Why allow you to carry more if you're not gonna spill it out and overflow on all of those around you? My anointing is not merely for you. Yes, it elevates your life and increases your capacity and power to perform. Yes, it magnifies my good in you, but it's really not for you alone. I pour my presence out on you to share with my children abroad. See, it all comes down to motive. Motive is everything. Jesus said in one passage, he said, you have not because you ask not. But then he said right after that, and some of you have not because you ask amiss to spend it all on yourself. It's motive. Why do you want more? We should all want more. We should want more of God. We should want more of his favor, more of his blessing, more of his provision. But it's about the why. It's about the why. We don't give our kids everything they ask for. And God doesn't answer every one of your prayers. If God answered some of my prayers, I would have married the wrong woman. Grew up in Oklahoma, we had Garth Brooks and he taught us that we're supposed to be thankful for unanswered prayers. Every time I look on Facebook, I have many reasons to celebrate some of those unanswered prayers. I wanna take you to scripture. Uh, but before I do, I wanna catch you up on where we're at in the story of David. David has been anointed by God now. His, his, his worship has been elevated. Scholars believe that he was about 15 when he was anointed. Uh, we know and we'll go into the story of Goliath uh, when he encountered Goliath at 17. So there's a two-year span where David is going back and forth from being in the field because even though he was anointed in front of his whole family, his family still treated him as an outcast and he was in the field with the sheep because he was the youngest and the lowliest and he was not accepted by his family as a natural born son. I mentioned last week that they believed that he was illegitimate and he was treated with disdain, treated like a slave and part of the reason they put him in the field with the sheep is they had secretly hoped that he would be eaten by a lion or a bear that frequented that area. So when God anointed him in front of his whole family and overlooked all of the older brothers and in front of his own father who was a high-ranking official in the Sanhedrin, all of a sudden the least had become the greatest. The last had become the first. And we would think, finally I'm vindicated. Finally I can sit at the table. According to Jewish tradition, David was never allowed to eat at the table with his own family. He was an outcast. And as soon as he's anointed, things are supposed to turn up, but instead he goes right back to the sheep. You see, Jesus said it this way, a prophet is of no reputation in his hometown. There are people when God does something in your life, they simply can't see it because they can't ever get past Old Cassius, I know Cassius. I remember back when Cassius was this. Cassius, oh man, Cassius, shoot, man, I've been knowing Cassius for a long time. They can't allow Cassius to be who God says Cassius is because they're stuck in their own history. But see, Jesus sees your 
future. In fact, the Bible says that he sees the end from the very beginning. When God looks at you, can I encourage you with this? He doesn't see what you are right now. That's not his focus. God is wrapped up in who he knows you are in the future. He's the finisher of your faith. So he's not upset when you're in the middle of your process. See, we're so wrapped up in the present. We get so wrapped up in our present situation, our current failure, our current problem. God sees so far past that. He knows you're already going to get through it. He's not worried about it. When you mess up, when you slip up, when you fail, he doesn't get tripped up over that. Why? He already paid for your victory. He paid for your forgiveness. He paid for your success. There's nothing that you lack. He is the author and the finisher. He will not leave you incomplete. He will finish the work he has begun in you. And that's good news. It's good news. It's good news. So David is going back and forth. Now, he's had encounters as a shepherd. His worship has shifted. He's writing incredible songs. Reputation begins to get out about him, that he's a a warrior, uh, but he's just a shepherd. But the reputation is he's actually a warrior. Things are getting out. The the reputation is he's an anointed worshiper. So Saul, King Saul, has disobeyed God one too many times, and God withdrew his spirit from him, and the Bible says allowed an evil spirit to torment him. Oh my gosh, one of the most unbelievable psalms, if you'll read uh, the, the 51st psalm, the 51st psalm is the song that David wrote of his repentance after having uh, strayed and had an affair with Bathsheba and after plotting to have her husband killed uh, because he wanted her for himself. And in the 51st psalm, he says, my sins are ever before my face. Oh, have you ever been there? You ever been in that place where it's like your your sins, your failures are just churning, churning, churning ever before your face? But he says, what I realize, God, is that it's a broken and contrite heart that you desire. And his cry in the 51st Psalm was, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. See, David knew all too well what it looked like to see someone in the, in, in the flesh that had God's spirit withdrawn from him in an evil spirit allowed to torment and have ownership. So Saul is being demonically tormented day and night. He's the ruling king. He's the reigning king, but he's being demonically tormented. And so one of his attendants said, you need this kid David who's a mighty warrior. He's only 16 maybe, 15 maybe. He's a mighty warrior already. And he's gifted with the harp. And when he plays, the spirit of God is present. Have him come. And so Saul said, yes, bring him to me. And David would come, and with his harp, he would sing, and he would worship. And the spirit, the anointing, the presence of God would fill that room, and the demon would have to depart and leave Saul alone. So Saul said, I want this kid to stay with me. And he said, in fact, he's going to be a part of my armor bearers. And that was when David began to be trained for warfare for real. But David had already had some experiences as a shepherd. See, a shepherd has 
two main tools. We understand that David had an additional weapon I'll describe in a little bit, but had two main tools. He had a rod and he had a staff. The staff is the traditional shepherd's crook that you imagine the shepherd walking around and it's got the big hook on it and he could reach and he could pull and he could guide and all of that. He could correct gently the sheep. But the rod was a rod not for the sheep, it was for predators. And it was literally like a club that had a ball on the end with spikes. And if a predator came, the shepherd wasn't empty-handed. A shepherd had to defend the sheep because the sheep were their income stream. The sheep was their, it was their wealth, it was their food, it was their future. And so David had a responsibility not just to lead the sheep to water, lead the sheep to food, keep the sheep together, because sheep are one-track animals. Don't be flattered when God calls you sheep. Sheep are one-track animals. They can only think about one thing at a time, and that's fill up my belly. And sheep will wander off because they're just eating and eating, and they're not paying attention, and they stray off, and they get lost. And that's why Jesus talked about leaving the 99 to go get the one, because it's our nature, it's our tendency to get so wrapped up in what we are hungry for that we stray off the path from where he wants us. So David had an intimate understanding and relationship with the sheep, but he's learning the art of warfare. Now, the Philistines came in and were being very aggressive towards the Jews. The Philistines represent the flesh. It represents the sin nature in Scripture. And so they were commanded. It's a very harsh thing in Scripture when you realize that God commanded the Israelites when they went in and took the land of Canaan to kill everyone that was there, to annihilate all of the tribes that were there because the tribes that were there were demonic tribes they worshiped demonic gods. God didn't want them intermarrying together with them. He didn't want them being infiltrated with impure uh, spiritual things. And he told his children to kill everyone, all completely annihilate them. But they didn't do it all. They didn't kill them all. And so the Philistines remained in the land and were a constant thorn in the side of the people of God. The Philistines represent the sin in your life that you leave alone and let, and let stay. And it keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back, and it keeps circling around. And you, you beat it down for a while, but then it begins to grow again. It's the little bit of yeast that goes through the whole lump initially, or eventually, as Jesus declared. So we find in this story that the Philistines have now become strong, and they have actually uh, moved into a place of dominance, and they had taken over much of the land of Israel, and they had outlawed, this is a very interesting reality, they had outlawed weapons. And they had taken away all the blacksmiths. And so a Jew, an Israelite in that era, was not allowed to have weapons by decree of the Philistines. And so when the Israelite army went out, they went out with farm equipment. They, they had rakes and hoes and scythes and shovels and all that. They were rustic. In fact, the scripture says there were only two swords in the entire Israelite camp, and that was King Saul and his son Jonathan, the only two swords in the whole camp. They're in a bad spot. And, and, and so they're out to war, and David's dad says, hey, David, I want you to go take some snacks, take some food to your brothers. Three of his brothers were on the front lines. And, and I want you to go and check on them and bring back word. I'm concerned about my sons. 
So David honored his dad who was neglectful, who overlooked him, who didn't treat him with the respect and the regard that he deserved, who, who literally treated him as an outcast, as an illegitimate child his whole life. But David honored him. See, so many times, guys, so many times in life, we get hung up on what we think we deserve and we may be right, but we cease to honor the people that God still has in our life for a season and for a reason. There's blessing in honor. Bunch of teenagers in the room, bunch of young folks in the room. Did you know that your parents aren't always right? Don't say amen or just whisper it. Just whisper it a little bit. Amen, Jesus, preach it, Joel. Parents aren't always right, but parents are given a position in your life to protect you to watch over you, to guard you from yourself because teenagers don't know as much as they think they know. And us old heads have been around the block a little bit. And so to honor your father and mother is a command in scripture that comes with the promise, the Bible says. It's the first command with the promise that you will live long on the earth. You wanna live long, you wanna have a great life, honor your parents even when they're wrong. Honor. Honor means to treat someone the way they deserve to be treated based on the position they hold in your life, unrelated to their behavior. Honor has nothing to do with behavior. Honor has everything to do with position. There are people in our life, in our community, in our world that hold a position so we treat them a certain way even if they're not a great person because they hold a position. A judge could be corrupt, but if I'm standing in front of him, I'm still gonna call him your honor because he holds a position, and if I mistreat him in that position, it could go poorly for me. This spreads all through community. It's why we're commanded to honor our spouses because they hold a position in our life, and we have to honor that position, and we're rewarded for honoring that position. You'll see in the pattern of David's life, over and over and over, he chooses to honor regardless of behavior, and he's mistreated by authority figures again and again and again, but he always comes back to honor, and God always brings him through to reward. So here we find David. He shows up at the front lines. He's got all these gifts and stuff, and he, he begins to hear the hubbub because the, the armies are on either side. They're not actually fighting. They're on two sides of a valley. And on either side of the valley, every single day, this giant, an actual real giant named Goliath would come out. He wasn't make-believe. It's not a myth. He was an actual human being. The giants are in the Bible uh, throughout the Old Testament. They were the descendants of the fallen angels that fell with Lucifer one-third of the angels fell with Lucifer, and the Bible describes that the angels began to have relations with the daughters of men, and they created a super race of giants, and they had to be exterminated. It was part of the enemy's agenda to defile the bloodline of man, to circumnavigate the promise that was spoken in the Garden of Eden, Eden that the seed of the woman would crush the devil's head. So he had a plot to infuse the DNA of man with angelic DNA and to taint the bloodline so the Messiah couldn't come. It's all part of the agenda. And so what we see in scripture 
is this actual people of giants that were anti-Christ or against the cause of Christ in the earth. And so this Goliath, and it's interesting when you look at the actual Jewish story about Goliath, it describes in great detail that the, the Jew, according to the Jewish tradition, he was 13 feet tall. 13 feet tall. He had chainmail that he wore, the coat of chainmail that he wore weighed 125 pounds. That's a heck of a dinner jacket. 125 pounds. His spear, it says, was like a weaver's beam. It was, it was nine or 10 foot long, and it said that the, hit, the tip, the arrowhead, the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. 15, if you, have you ever picked up a sledgehammer? A 10 pound, a 12 pound sledgehammer? This dude's spearhead was 15 pounds. This is a massive man, six fingers and six toes on each hand. He was huge. He was a man of war. And when he came out and, and stood before the entire army of Israel, the whole army, including the king, melted away because he was so terrifying. So Goliath would come out every single day and taunt them and say, you guys should come and fight me. Send one of your best to fight me. And if I win, then you are our subjects and you're our servants. And if you defeat me, then we'll all be your subjects and your servants. And they were out there for days and days and weeks and weeks and months. And no one would go fight. Every day they would cower. Every day they would cower. And one day, David shows up with snacks. And he's been worshiping. And he's in the place of anointing. He's in the place of the presence of God. And he hears the taunting of this giant spewing curses against not just the people of Israel, but the curses were against the God of Israel. He heard someone cursing his God that he knew so well. And it went all over him. But it wasn't just that he was angry, he also heard an opportunity. See, the men were saying that King Saul had declared that whoever could kill this giant would be made incredibly rich, have zero taxes, and get to marry the king's daughter. And David said, say what? <laughs> Who is this man that would seek to defile the Lord God? And David gets gets fired up. He's like, oh my God, this might be my chance. And somebody hears him asking questions and sends him before King Saul. And so he goes before King Saul. He's a shepherd boy. He's dressed as a shepherd. He's got his staff with him. Verse 20, 32 of 1 Samuel 17 says, and David said to Saul, let no one lose heart among or on account of this Philistine your servant will go and fight him. This 17-year-old high school senior will go and fight this giant. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. That's cute. That's really cute, David. You're only a young man. And this guy is a warrior from his youth. He's been a warrior his whole life. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, 
and rescued the sheep from its mouth. In the New Living Translation, it says that he caught it by the beard and clubbed it to death. You see the illustration of the shepherd's rod, the club. I mentioned last week that we live in the country and I'm scared of the skunk that's right by my house. I can't, I, I, he sprayed my dog this week. I told you it was gonna happen, it happened. So I'm out there with night vision and trying to find this sucker. I'm gonna kill this sucker. If you see me wearing a skunk skin hat, you're gonna know what happened. <laughs> but David is chasing down bears, chasing down, chasing them down. <laughs> I, like that. I heard it said one time, because David, all, his only friends, his only friends are sheep. That's all he's got. He's like, oh, you ain't taking Larry. I mean, I mean, he's like, he's got a relationship. These sheep are his friends, man. Uh-uh, not Bubba. You, ain't, you can't take Bubba. I'm coming for Bubba. And, and so David literally goes after, and he's so fired up. He's like, I'm not afraid of a lion, and I'm not afraid of a bear. He says, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant killed both the lion and the bear, and this un circumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now that's a key statement because it points to motive and it points to cause and it points to confidence. Why is David so confident about this 13 foot tall giant? It's found in his opening statement. This uncircumcised Philistine. See, David was part of a covenant with the living God. He was circumcised. It was a ritual that came through, uh, through Moses, and it came through Abraham, and it came through the relationship that God had with his people. And, and so he had this understanding that I have a blood covenant with the living God, the creator of the universe, and this guy doesn't, so I have a divine advantage He's defying the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine too. And Saul said to David, go on with your bad self. <laughs> See, God's anointing can be compounded and multiplied. God's anointing can be compounded and multiplied. If you will put yourself in the place of God's presence, and remember I talked about obeying God. Obeying God is what triggers his presence. It triggers his blessing. It triggers his favor upon your life. When you obey God, it releases his pleasure. He's not looking for sacrifice. He's looking for obedience. And so David was living in a place of obedience he was honoring his father, even though his father was abusive. He was living in a place of obedience, and God's favor was upon him. And he understood that he had a covenant with God. And his anointing was compounding. I'm sure there were probably some coyotes he had to deal with before the lion and the bear. Maybe a bobcat. Maybe, maybe he, he worked his way up over time. I don't know. But David was not afraid of a giant because he had a progressive compounding, multiplying experience with the living God because he lived in a place of God's presence. Ladies and gentlemen, you can create in your life an opportunity to have a perpetual state of God's presence in your daily life and it will compound your confidence. It will multiply your ability. It'll move you into a place where you stand out among your peers because you have learned how to tap in to the power and the presence and the ability of God upon your natural life. 
life. So you're not just any accountant. You're a Holy Spirit-filled, anointed accountant. You're not just any homeschool mom. You're a Holy Spirit-filled, anointed homeschool mom. You're, you're an anointed uh, school uh, administrator. You're an anointed salesman. You've got the presence of the living God upon you. If someone's getting the deal, I'm getting the deal because the presence of the living God is upon me. I have a covenant with the living God. And I'm in his presence on a daily basis. And I'm hearing what he's saying to me so I know where to be at the right place at the right time because I have his advantage upon my life. All right, I'll calm down. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we go from glory to glory as we're transformed in the image of God. God is in a perpetual place when he made the promise, when God made the promise to Abraham, he said, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. What does that say? It says, God is saying, I am blessing. That's who I am, so I will bless you. I am multiplying. That's who I am, so I will multiply you. God always elevates his people. He never leaves his people in one place when they're obedient to him. He always takes them on a path of multiplication, going from glory to glory to glory. You may have ups and down seasons, just like if you look at the stock market, you may have ups and down seasons, but if you're in a good stock, if you're in a good place, you're always somehow still trending up. That's the goal. Is it no matter what, guys, I'm going to have an up day and a down day, but the most important thing is that I trend up. I keep trending up. I keep getting up. It doesn't say the righteous never fall. It says the righteous, though they fall seven times, they rise again. We're the get up people. We're the get up people. You're gonna have bad days, but you get up and you get right back into his presence. You get right back into that place of anointing. You tap right back into that divine advantage because you're not like just anybody else. You have a divine advantage. You have the anointing from the Holy Spirit to help you live your life at a higher level. But remember, the anointing isn't all about you. See, we see all types of illustrations in Scripture of an increase of anointing. We, we, we're able to look at Peter's life when Peter engaged and encountered God, encountered Jesus. And, and we, we watch all of, ups and, of the ups and downs of Peter's life. But Jesus said, hey, for those of you that believe in me, you actually believe, you'll do even greater things than I did. That's, that's astounding. Most people could never wrap their brain around that. Do something greater than Jesus did? That, that blasphemy. But all of Jesus' disciples ended up doing things that Jesus never did. See, Peter literally walked past people and the sun was shining this way and his shadow was casting that way and if his shadow touched people, they would get healed. That's a compounding, multiplying of anointing. Paul couldn't get to certain people so he had them bring a napkin, a handkerchief, and he would anoint it and pray with it and then send it. And when they would get the handkerchief and they would hold the prayer, they would get healed from it. Jesus never did that. It's a multiplying and a compounding opportunity that you can have. I had the opportunity at a global pastor's uh, conference to sit at a table. I, I'd never been in a table like this. I was surrounded, the entire, every single person at this table, 
they were pastors from different parts of the world. And I was sitting next to a gentleman. He said, Joel, you have no idea who you're sitting with right now. He goes, see that guy right there? That guy right there, he looks like just an average, just an average Indian dude. Just an Indian dude. He goes, that guy right there has over 100,000 people in his church in India. That guy right there, he's from this country. He's got a half a million people in his church. These people, they didn't look anything like these celebrity Christian American pastors on TV. Pastors and sneakers, didn't look a thing like that. Looked like a regular dude, working a regular job, nothing fancy. Half a million people in their church. He said, this guy right here, Joel, he's the first missionary to Fiji that didn't get eaten. He and his brother went to Fiji. Every other missionary before them were eaten because the Fijian islands were all cannibals. And they got there, and when they got there, the people told them that the water was bad and they couldn't drink the water. So this pastor and his brother prayed for the water and the water was healed. And the whole village got saved. And then the next village got saved. And then the next village got, did you know that Fiji is now a Christian nation? Fiji is a Christian nation. And you pay $4 a bottle for its water. Talking about compounding, multiplying, anointing. There are no limits when you serve a limitless God. The only limits are in your mind. The only limits are what you create inside of your head. There are no limits for those who serve a limitless God. He's a compounding and multiplying God, and he has more for you to do. In a two-year period, David went from being an outcast to being inside of the palace. But this day that we're describing is the day where David went from recognizing that the anointing was mostly for his own personal benefit. The lion and the bear, that was about David. We, we don't even know if he told anyone. Now, somehow the word got out because people thought he was a warrior. So we don't know if he like skinned him and brought home the proof. Or we don't know, you know, trying to show his brothers how, that he's actually cool. You know, brings a bear head home. I don't, we don't know. But, but the word was getting out but it was really just about him protecting his sheep. It, it was really about his personal, the, the, the first time he impacted anyone else was playing worship for Saul, the king. Everything was his own personal, personal experience. But on this day, he shows up, and it's no longer a personal agenda. It's no longer a personal benefit. The anointing is for a kingdom influence and impact. See, the entire nation was at stake. The future of the nation, the, the bloodline of the Messiah was at stake. David didn't know it. David shows up and he's ticked off because someone's cursing his God. And he's killed lions and he's killed bears and he's looking at all these grown men hiding and they're the army. He says, I'll go, king. So King Saul says, all right. All right, here you go. I'll give you my armor. I'll give you my sword. Put this stuff on. Well, the problem is, 
King Saul, the Bible says, was head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel. It's like Dirk Davinsky. Can't wear his stuff. So David's like walking around like this, and he's like, I can't go in this. I haven't proven it. I haven't tested it. I, I, don't, I can't even move in this stuff. So he takes it all off. He's got his staff. He's got his sling, his weapon of choice, his projectile, his, his Colt 45. See, historians say that the, the Israelites that were experts with slings could hit a target in the bullseye from 200 yards. David was an expert with his sling. He walks down, he reaches down into the brook and he pulls out five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch. Interestingly enough, Goliath had four brothers. So David goes walking out there. He's got one sling already loaded. He's got it moving. How do you know he's got it moving? Because when Goliath saw him, he said, what am I, a dog, that you're gonna send out a boy with sticks? Goliath thought he had two sticks because he saw the sling moving and it looked like a straight line to him and he saw the stick in the other hand and Goliath goes to cursing him, telling what he's gonna do to him and David has had just about enough. So David declares, if I could find the scripture inside of my amazing notes here, Verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied, and this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. It says that David ran at Goliath. And Goliath, as he began to move toward him, David loosed that stone. David was an expert with that stone and that sling. And it hit this giant square between the eyes and sunk into his head. And he falls down on his face. And David runs up. And you can imagine a 17-year-old kid with a 13-foot-tall Goliath who's wearing a 125-pound jacket. Can you imagine how heavy this sword was? David doesn't have a sword. He's, he's already told Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off, sucker. But he has no sword. So he's already plotted out chess move number two. I'm going to knock this sucker down. I'm going to take his sword. I'm going to chop his head off. And that's exactly what David does. He picks his head. I can, this is what I imagine. And it hacks his head off and then picks up his head and shows everybody. And it says that the whole army goes into a frenzy. All of the Philistines began to run and the Israelite army chased them down and killed them for miles. Bodies were strewn for miles. And when David walked back to King Saul again and stood before King Saul, he still had that head in his hands. It's a warrior spirit. He kept the swords. 
He kept the armor. Those were his trophies. See, the anointing is meant to overflow. David didn't plan that incredible speech. David didn't plan, that was not something he had rehearsed. David had the overflow of the presence of God in his life. David showed up to bring snacks. That's it. But the presence of God in his life was so strong that he overflowed into the entire atmosphere and he changed the future of the nation. Psalms 23 is one of the most beautiful psalms that David wrote. It's the one that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and brings me beside still waters. It's a beautiful passage. It's the psalm that he wrote after he killed Goliath because he had a revelation of the shepherd. He went out as a shepherd and won the greatest victory. See, I told you that the armies were, were sitting on two hilltops between a valley. That's where it says in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Watch your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Watch, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David understood the reason he had victory, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, facing a giant probably twice his size, was because his, his head had been anointed with oil. He was overflowing in that anointing. He had the spirit of the Lord upon him. That's why we declare Isaiah 61 as our founding verse. Our church is built. It's designed. The vision of the church is found in Isaiah 61. You want to know what the vision of the church is at Oaks Church? It's Isaiah 61. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free and release those from prison to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. It says that he's planted us like great oaks of righteousness for his glory and for his splendor. That we'll trade beauty for ashes. There's a cause. There's a cause. There's a calling on this church. There's a calling on you. And it's bigger than just your business. It's bigger than just your profession. It's bigger than just your, your, your plans. It, it, it's, it's a cause that's connected to the name of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. And we as the people of God have got to pull our heads out of our own mess and fix our eyes on Jesus and recognize that there's more to life than just the day-to-day, -day, just the monotony, just the stuff. Guys, we have been these last couple years, we have been inundated with chaos and division and things to cause trauma in our lives and numb us down. Emotional disorders out of control. Mental sickness out of control. Suicide rates out of control. because we have a massive enemy 
that torments, that chides, that defies the living God. But just like David, we have an anointing and no one can defy our God. For our God is able to deliver, whether by many or by few. No one can stand before our God and we're not alone. We've gotta get our minds out of the crazy and the chaos of this world. We need to get our minds into the mind of Christ inside of the presence of the living God. It needs to be our number one focus, our number one focus. Does that mean that we shouldn't still do our job and be, no, 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 be excellent. Why? Because you represent Jesus on the planet. You represent Jesus on the planet. You need to be the most excellent version of you you possibly can. If you're a roofer, be the best, most excellent roofer. Why? You represent Jesus Christ. You got an internet business, be the most excellent business owner. You represent Jesus Christ. You work in a restaurant, be the most excellent. Doesn't matter what you do. You're a student, be the most excellent student. The greatest attitude, the greatest work ethic, the highest level of determination and discipline. Why? You represent the living God in the earth. And as I said last week, he can't bless your mess. He blesses your best. He wants you to bring your best to him. You need to be super skilled, the best in your class, the best in your field. And then he'll add his supernatural to it and you'll be extraordinary. And yes, there will be great reward for you because you're exceptional. But it's not about that. It's about the eternal. It's about the people that you impact, the people that you influence. Our worship leader, Lewis, is out this week. He's um, with his fiancee planning their wedding in North Carolina. We're excited for them. They're gonna have a great celebration this, this uh, next year. Uh, and so we have a guest worship leader that's here. His name's Alex. And, and I met Alex, um, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago. I was in a worship service at our church just worshiping, and I looked across the room and I saw him, and, and, and he had piercings all over and scraggly hair, dressed like a punk rocker, and the Lord said instantly, go meet that guy, he's your next worship leader. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, don't even, I don't even know if he can sing. I don't even, go meet him, he's your next worship leader. Okay. I walk up to him. Hey, man, my name's Joel. What's your name? Alex. Nice to meet you, Alex. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah? Do you uh, maybe play guitar? Piano or something? Yeah, yeah, I play guitar. Huh? <laughs> Can you uh, maybe, maybe, uh, do you know how to sing? He goes, oh, yeah, I know how to sing. Really? H have you ever wanted to maybe lead worship? Maybe for teenagers? He goes, it's, it's, it's all I want to do. It's my dream. Hmm. Well, I happen to be the youth pastor here, and how about you come on on Wednesday night? And sure enough, he sounded like Metallica. <laughs> Third day, he had that gravelly voice, but he was anointed. God's hand was on him. And uh, so when Lewis had to be out, we made a call and said, hey, man, come in, fly in from Arizona and lead worship for us. He's gonna come and lead worship in a second. 
but he would have never been on this stage if I didn't overflow. I'll change the course of his life. Look, he had to be the obedient one. But I had to make an invitation. And there are people in your world that if you don't make the invitation, they can't step into who God has called them to be. You're on the planet for a reason. You have spheres of influence for a reason. And if you don't walk across the room and open your mouth, I mean, you understand, you're the vessel that God pours through. It's not magic. God has chosen to use human beings to live in. Chosen, it's called jars of clay, earthen vessels, to radiate his glory through. But unless you're willing to open your mouth, nothing can happen. I didn't do anything but walk across the room and ask a simple question because I was in the presence of God and God spoke something to me and it altered the course of someone's life and literally hundreds and even thousands of people now that have worshiped while Alex leads. Come on, guys. It was a tiny thing for me to walk across the room, but God did a big thing out of it. What tiny things might God ask you to do? that could change the course of someone else's future. Simple acts of obedience. Listen, if you can't do the little things, you'll never do the big things. You gotta start with the little things. You gotta start with the little things. I wanna, we're gonna go back into worship and we're gonna have our prayer team just come right back down front again. And many of you weren't here last week. Last week we did this and anyone that wanted, we, we have uh, little things with oil. We're not gonna ruin your clothes or anything. We're just gonna put some on our hand and we'll just put it on your head and pray for you. Nothing, nothing crazy or whatever. But the Bible's very clear about the power of laying on of hands, that, that there's a transfer of anointing that happens with laying on of hands. The Bible says that if someone's sick, bring them before the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, lay hands on them that they might be healed. Paul said to Timothy, to stir up the gift of God that's in you by the laying on of my hands. Something happens. So you may need healing in your life. You may need a relationship restored in your life. The Bible says that the anointing breaks the yoke, the bondage. You might have a, 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 a sin pattern that you're in bondage to in your life that you want prayer and God's anointing to help break that off. You may be in a place where you want supernatural protection. The Bible says that the, that the anointing will protect. It, it actually has a protective ability. Touch not the Lord's anointed. God protects his own anointed. So there's a lot of benefits there. But I specifically want, if you want to expand your influence, that's the number one thing that's in my heart and in my spirit as we sing and we worship this song. If you wanna move beyond the personal benefit and move into God's kingdom focus for your life, expanding your influence for God by his presence and his anointing in your life, that you live for something more than yourself. You live for a cause way greater. And there's just gonna be open. Anyone that feels comfortable, anybody that wants to, we're all just gonna worship. Alex is gonna lead us. But if you want to participate in this and you want to be anointed, today to expand your influence or if you need healing or you need protection or you need uh, some type of restoration, anything, whatever, 
This is an act that's all through the scriptures. It's a powerful thing, and we're just going to make it available. If you're not comfortable with it, don't worry about it. Just worship with us, okay? But as we lead and as we worship, just go ahead. Our prayer team's going to come down front, and we're just going to pray for whoever uh, wants prayer. And then we'll come back up in just a couple minutes after we sing this song, and, uh, and we'll be dismissed in just a little bit. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.